It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the In the Paint show presented by Ball is Life. Devin Newland here with Ronnie Flores for our third episode. And I kind of want to jump into some non-basketball stuff to start this one out. Um, The college football bowl games, kind of an interesting deal over the weekend. Uh, We were obviously at at basketball on Saturday, but um, we had a little bit of time to look at the scores and kind of an interesting thing. Clemson dominated Notre Dame 30-3, and uh, Oklahoma had a little bit more of a respective showing against Alabama. It was a 45-34 Bama win. Ronnie, you you know you've watched a lot of football. You used to be a, a big time football guy, especially at the high school level. Um, what are your takes on this Final Four type of thing and the college football bowl playoff game? I know one was a blowout and one was. Kind of, I mean, the score was close, but I think it, the indication of that is kind of skewed, and it was more of a dominant Alabama performance against Oklahoma. What's going on? Yeah, Devin. Uh, you know, talking about the college football a little bit. You know. I'm not even sure as you look back at the college football playoffs since we had it, you know, could you remember which bowl game it was and what semifinal from even a few years ago? I, I don't think the average fan can. So when you look at a big time college bowl game, you know, Rose Bowl, Orange Bowl, those those games were memorable. And I'm not really sure this, you know, play into a final bowl game has really been a big hit. You know, it's been on different days. It's been on New Year's Eve before. This was on the 29th. I guess it makes sense to have it on a Saturday, but like a couple college experts were saying, is it really hitting the way they thought it would? You know, what's your quick take on that, Devin? Do we, just as a general fan. I mean, for me, that, that I cover high school football for the LA Times during the season, and um, I'm a casual college football fan, I would say. Okay. And it's the season just goes too long, so I didn't even I didn't even know most of the time when the, I didn't know the college football playoff games were this weekend. Because they switch yeah. them so much. So that's me, the problem I have with the semifinals. Yeah. It's not ingrained in your mind like a New Year's Day or the day after New Year's Bowl game as it was for 50 years, basically. Right. Yeah, so I think that's a big problem. For them, I think the hardest thing is not which teams are in it. It's finding the best days and times to get the most eyes on the games. And that's anything like anything else, any high school, college level um, you know, event compared to like a pro event where you know college you know college football's on a Saturday, NFL's on a Sunday. That's ingrained. Whether you say what you want about the NFL, Sunday afternoon people are generally watching football if they're not just hanging out and cleaning in the yard. So I think that's a big problem with college football right now. Obviously Alabama and Clemson seem to be on another level. Uh you know, in terms of their physical ability and just the players they have. I'm not sure Notre Dame, I was watching a little bit of the game while I was 
checking out, you know, some of the Tory Pines holiday classic finals, final day there. And, and at some of those tackles, Notre Dame was barely hanging on for a shoestring at the beginning. You could see that it was eventually where, uh, you know, their opponent Clemson was going to roll. So, um, you know, in your estimation, Devin, uh, talk a little bit about, do you think like Alabama football, this is going to be, I think they're believe their fourth straight title game. They obviously been a dynasty under Nick Saban. Uh, is that good for that sport? You know, how would it be if, uh, you know, college basketball team dominant that way? Or we can even say Duke and Kentucky if we want to, but they don't dominate with championships, but they dominate the headlines. So what do you think about Alabama and as it relates to basketball? I mean, I think if you're an Alabama fan or a Clemson fan, this is fantastic because uh, you, your team is consistently in the championship game and has a chance to win the national title. Um, kind of, But going back to your point about Kentucky and Duke and, you know, those kind of teams who get all the one and done players in college basketball. I think the biggest difference between college basketball and college football, especially when it comes to the postseason, is there's a 64 or 68 team tournament NCAA tournament where it's a one game thing. And it's fantastic. I mean, the setup is fantastic. It's perfect. It's, and, it's saved college basketball, in my opinion, for the last 20 years. Right. So you have, I mean, if a team gets hot in one yeah. game, like we saw last year when number one Virginia went down. Uh, if a team gets hot in one game, you have a more chance for upsets. Um, so with the that said, story exists right. much more. Yeah, with that said, it comes back to does college football uh, need to add more teams to the playoff, or are Alabama and Clemson just that much better? Yeah, I mean, I, there's an argument both ways. You can say, well, let's go to eight, it might make it exciting, but then again, you have the scheduling with holidays. These kids are away from school, away from their families a lot. Uh, just like basketball teams are. Uh, does it make sense just to go to a, the best two teams play like we used to have the BCS and just, you know, try to pick the best two teams? Some years it works, some years it doesn't. Uh, you know, I, I think the playoff it was a step in the right direction. It's got to be maybe tweaked or changed. Uh, you know, we've tried it. And, um, you know, Alabama's just dominant right now. And as we speak about Alabama, you know, dominant programming in one time, in college basketball, even though there was a tournament, obviously, you know, John Wooden's Bruins. Devin, let's jump and talking about let's jump and talk about another subject now, <laughs> UCLA and the Pac twelve in general in terms of college basketball. Why don't you give yeah. the fans a little bit yeah. what you know, what you see. Uh you read off a few of the scores obviously. I mean this is yeah, yesterday was a was a, not a banner day in the Pac twelve basketball wise. Um as as most people who listen to this will probably know. Um, obviously, Utah lost to number six Nevada, which you know, makes total sense. But then you get to Princeton beating then number seventeen ranked Arizona State uh, by one. Uh, but the biggest there's two scores here that jump out to me. Uh, Cal is down right now, but again they sure. lost by nine to Seattle, which is you know eye opening. Then you get to Liberty um, beating UCLA by fifteen, seventy three to fifty eight at wow. Poly Pavilion, and the Bluebirds were out. And- yeah. You know, it's how long will Alfred last? Um, you know, Cal's in a little different boat. I, I think they know that their expectations are, are not there. They don't have the talent they did when they had, you know, Jalen Brown and Ivan Rabb. Right. I, the expectations are a bit of, but again, the expectations for UCLA are, are always there. I mean, they, they brought in a huge recruiting class, according to a lot of the recruiting services and ranking websites and things of that nature. They brought in Moses Brown, a seven-footer, five-star, right? Mm-hmm. They brought in you know, a guy like Jules Bernard. Who was a four-star recruit? David really Singleton from Bishop Montgomery, four-star recruit. Uh, Jalen Hands is a sophomore now. He was a five-star recruit, if I'm not mistaken. Sure. Um, so you have the players that 
brings us to where's the lack? Is there a lack of motivation? Are the players kind of you know not responding well to the the coaching staff? Um, does this mean? I see a lot of people on Twitter um, saying Steve Alford needs to go now. Sure. There's but there's financial repercussions for that. There's buyout clauses and things of that nature. I'm not privy to how much Steve Alford's buyout would be if they let him go now, as opposed to during the off season. I'm assuming if they keep him throughout the season, through the rest of the season, it's a lot cheaper to sure. fire him. Sure. But he signed an extension recently. <laughs> so you said it's like, I think it was a five-year extension. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's clear with, I mean, losing to Liberty at home by 15, that there's a mis- there's a disconnect between the coaching staff and the high-level recruiting class that was brought in by that coaching staff. Sure. And sometimes you may say of this high-level uh, recruiting class they brought in and, you know, they had some returning players, you know, just maybe... Just maybe, again, we say it sometimes, we, we talk a little bit about the big ranking services, rivals, ESPN, 247, that type of thing. Maybe they just, some of them weren't that good. Right. You know, if you look at, 100%. Some, look at the, some of the other players, you know, should UCLA have been more in tune to James, what James O'Kindle was doing at Salesian, what Kia Clark was doing at Taft, who's now at Virginia, and obviously O'Kindle's at, at Georgetown. Again, and those guys are not really one and two done type guys, no. quote unquote, who are going to be around. So, you know, there, there's a few factors there. I guess we can get into a little bit. We'll, we'll kind of close the show a little bit more with that. You know, I will go a little dig, dig, dig a little deeper to why we think certain things are happening yeah. in, in and UCLA and the Pac-12. Again, but like you said, Kihei Clark is, yeah. you know, coming off the bench playing huge minutes for Virginia. Yeah. Uh, James Akinjo was a dominant NorCal player. Dominant. There's another yeah. guy in Southern California who was starting at a mid-major Pepperdine and Kessler Edwards, yeah. who a lot of Pac-12s. I mean, I think he got some late Pac-12 interest. Sure, but it was it was too late. His brother's at Pepperdine. Yeah. He was yeah. kind of locked in there. Now Romar's there, and they're they're going to get things rolling. Sure. Um, but those are three guys in California who are going to be program guys. You know, three to four year players who are going to be very good in those three to four years. But sometimes you need those type of guys, and I yeah. think UCLA needs more of those. I think the problem you see at uh, certain schools, um, and just to close, and we'll jump on another little subject related to UCLA. <laughs> you, you see uh, guys that a lot, you have a big group of players who are one and done. And man, it must be hard for any coach to have egos. Yeah, I don't egos. Mean, lots of ego. Lots of uh, lots of people in their ear. Delusional expectations. Yeah, you know whether it be from a handler, or even a parent. parent you yeah. know, AU coach saying, "Oh, you know, you should have went here, should have went there." You know that that's a lot for a coach staff to handle. Any coaching staff, whether it's Steve Alford, John Wooden, whether it's you know anybody. Steve Lavin, anybody. So it's it's something that UCLA is dealing with, and it's they're in the second biggest metropolitan area in the country, so it's going to be. You know, right front and center. You know, obviously UCLA is also fighting for a lot of eyeballs with other things in in LA. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that a little later. But right. yeah, so you know, you have this thing where, you know, what would be like if was would Jello be Jello Ball be there? And then that goes into our our main topic of this third episode. You know, it's crazy to think that you know Mellow Ball may be going would have been going there next year. He's obviously not going to go to UCLA, and what he would be like if he was at Chino Hills, obviously. He's at Spire Academy right now in Geneva, Ohio. And, you know, what's your general take on that, Devin? You know, Mallow, you know, would, 
would he be at Chino Hills right now? Would they be? Would they have won uh, Battle Zone and would they have won the Damien? Would they be a top five team in the country? Who would be the coach? I mean, there's all these <laughs> there's a lot of domino effects that has happened based on what the Ball Clan did with their youngest son. You know, what is your just your highlight take, and then we'll get dig deep and go in the paint on it. Um, yeah, we saw Chino Hills this week at the Damien Classic, and they're a good team. Sure. They're a very good high school team. They're um, if state ranked team, state ranked team. They're going to be, you know, in contention to be in that eight team open division in the southern section. Um, but Onyeka Okongwu has obviously taken his game to another level, uh, especially in the paint. No pun intended, but um, O is great. And if you add a six 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 seven playmaker, score shooter into that mix. Um, who's as dynamic as and talented as Lamelo Ball is? Um, I, I think if they had the right coach in place, they would be, you know, a top ten team in the country potentially. Sure. As long as those two could coexist on the court, if that makes any sense. Because I mean, we haven't seen Melo and and O play together since their sophomore year. Yeah, it's been a and while. And Melo's now. game has changed a lot He's since then. Changed physically. Changed a lot. physically a lot mo- for the most part. Yeah, but he's he's definitely more of a playmaker off the bounce now than he was yeah. as a freshman and sophomore. Correct. He did that a little bit, but a lot of it, a lot of his stuff was you know coming down half court, jacking, up, jacking a shot. up a shot or something like that, taking bad shots. But I think from from what I've seen this season, Melo has um, matured a little bit yep. from what we saw during his freshman and sophomore year. Um, you saw him live, so you can kind of attest to that more. But I think. With those two on the court together, I mean, a six-six combo point guard, you know, score playmaker, and O is six-nine. Just, I mean, he's a beast in the paint. He's impossible to deal with. There's no way, no possible way we could sit, we could sit here and say that they wouldn't be, you know, a top ten team in the country. Definitely, you look at Mellow Ball. You know, we saw him at the Football West. He's pushing six-six. It's kind of uncanny how he kind of resembles now Lonzo at the same stage in terms of size, length, and his feel. You know, he gets in the pain, he's real crafty, um, finds a way to get, you know, get in there and either get a quick shot off or, or hit somebody on a pass. He's almost at Lonzo's level in that regard of his game. Um, yeah, he's had kind of upright a little bit like Lonzo. He, you know, he doesn't have that wild first step and wild quickness that, you know, you would see on the NBA from some of the top tier guys. But, you know, he he's at that level. It's just interesting. The, all the moves they've made, whether it's, you know, to leave Chino Hills, bring Lithuania, <laughs> and now come back, I think Miles kind of where we would expect him to be. I think when we saw him as a 14-year-old, we figured he'd be 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Right. We and knew he was going to grow up. Because yeah, yeah, it just, he was young. Based on the family with Lavar yeah. size, yeah. Tina, it's she's tall. tall. Correct. Uh, Lonzo and Jello are, you know, pretty big guys. 6'4". Yeah. And 6'6". Six, six. And he obviously has Lonzo's more of his body than Jello's. So we, we, you can see that coming. I just think with all these moves, it's interesting. As I wrote on the BallsLife.com website, I still think he's a top 5 to 12 player where he would have been if he would have stayed at Chino Hills. 100%. I, you know, you obviously, there's three guards you want to look at in this 219 class with Nico Mannion from Pinnacle of Arizona mm-hmm. moving up. Cole Anthony. Going to, and Cole Anthony, I think you could you know flip a coin on any day. It depends what you like 
what happened is obviously at Oak Hill, he's from New York. He played with Moses Brown at UCLA the year before at Archbishop Malloy, New York, and he's now at Oak Hill. Is you know, if you like a scoring strong guard, you know, that attacks the paint, you like Cole Anthony. You know, if you like a cerebral guard, it does plays right, is pure, yeah. you know, you you like Nico. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you like a guy with flash who gives a little <laughs> bit of something different and could, you know, wow the crowd and, and make plays for other people, then maybe you like Mello. But you know, what's your take, Devin? And I'll, I'll kind of give my take after you you give your take. Yeah, I mean, those three guys, those three guards you mentioned, Nico, Cole Anthony, and Lamella Ball, I think are interchangeable as to who, which one is the best guard in the country on any given day, uh, depending on what you want and what you need in a specific game. Like you said, Mello is dynamic as both a scorer and a playmaker, but you never know which Mello you're going to get. Sure. You, you know what I mean? You don't know if you're going to get Mello against modern day at Galen Center in the CAF. Was that was a semifinal? Yeah, semifinal. Semifinal. Right. And yeah. he you know, he went rogue on that last play and missed yeah. a sh- missed a took a terrible shot and missed it and they lost that game. Sure. He um, took some terrible shots for sure. The end of his sophomore year. Yeah. It, it was getting noticeable. You know, they lost the game. No, he played his best game against Oak Hill. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah, 30, 36 looked, points. Yeah, he looked like God, this guy's gonna be so good the next two years. Then he was six two back then. Yeah, and then as the <laughs> season went on. The shots got a little worse, yeah. you know. He got, he went viral on the half court shot. Yeah. From Richard Mirage. Yeah, I don't think it was. I don't think it was. Uh, I don't think it was unintentional. I think it was intentional that he scored that ninety two point game no, after no. their first loss. For sure. You know, and then from there it just kind of they like you said there they was, were taking bad shots. Yeah. They were they were they were losing. The disconnect started, and then there's he was out of, there. There was a lot of there was a lot of orchestration going on behind the scenes. I'm sure. Sure. With Steph Gilling. Um, yeah. and LeVar and, and all of that. It didn't um, work out at the end. You know? Clearly. I mean, obviously it didn't work out. Yeah. And when we talked about if Mello, what, what they would look like if Melo was at Chino Hills, now Dennis Lattimore wouldn't be the head coach. Correct. Because Dennis Lattimore is a no-nonsense kind of guy, and he wasn't having any part of that. Correct. Um, he didn't care. He just, we're, we're good. We're, okay. know, we're, we're all with O, and now you know they're a solid high school team. And he demands starter to cut you off. He demands that no, you're good. Get, yeah. he yeah. demands they get the ball into O. Hundred percent. If they don't yeah. get the, if O doesn't get a touch every time down the court, it's a timeout, and he's mm-hmm. he's, he's he's pissed off. Pissed off. Yeah. And it's worked out for him because they're still a good team, a, a top level team. And uh, O got hurt on on Friday night. Uh, o actually got hurt on Thursday, and, and then the also got hurt night. on Friday. Concu- he's in concussion protocol, so he's going to be out for a little bit. But with O with Will Pluma with Nick Manorhall and then Anthony Bell, the transfer from Etiwanda, and they're a very, very good high school basketball team that can beat just about anybody. Um, let's move into what we think Melo's ceiling is yeah. as a basketball player. Grant's, let's take everything into account. If everything works out well for him on every front, um, from a pure basketball standpoint, uh, this is a hot topic of debate. Is LaMelo Ball an NBA prospect in your opinion Devin I do think he is an NBA prospect I think he has a chance to play he's obviously taking an unconventional route when I look at him I, I see a guy who can definitely have a chance to play in the NBA um, he's obviously not going to UCLA <laughs> <laughs> you know now the question is is he going to be eligible for the NCAA I would think with the family and and the people who are advising him he's probably going to try to get in the G League next year and then be so eligible. you don't think he's going to be eligible for college? No, let's just I, get this on right now. Is he eligible for college next year? No, it, the, the, the the tape, the red tape to get him eligible is going to be so much. Let's say it's school does take him. 
And there's certain schools that are not going to take them. Again, we still have that federal trial out there. We still have that federal investigation, FBI investigation. Are you going to open up the can of worms to try to get this young man prove he's an amateur? Right. When the father's saying, we don't need high school. Right. We don't need this. We don't need this system. We're pros here. We do this our way. Okay. You're pretty, you're pretty good at that LeVar yeah. imitation, by the way. You know, you, you say that, <laughs> you know, you're putting it out there. He signed with an agent. You know, how are you going to unwind all that? And then how long are you going to have him for? Is it going to take you half a season to do right. to get that's, that done? That's the thing. How long would it even take to, to unravel prove, that? Prove all prove the amateur documents, yeah. you know, show all, all those things. But here's my, here's my take. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he was yeah. eligible because... Number one, he's going to make okay on viewership. That's that's a good way to take it. Let, let's you take that angle. Yeah. Let me take the other angle. Well, let's no, let's argue a little no, bit. More number two, here. number two. Yeah. If there's only yeah. a one person yeah. who would be able to provide the documentation and be ready for that immediately, it's Levar Ball. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, this guy. For as much as you want to say, um, he's done his kids wrong. That did Mello wrong. I. I'm, I'm with you. He shouldn't have taken him out of Chino Hills. Yeah. Let the kid play high school. Let him run his course. Let him, you know, be the number whatever ranked player in the country. Sure. See what, you know. What transpires What there. transpires there and, you know, let him just live his high school life. But again, if there's one guy who's going to be prepared and have all that stuff in order and uh, be ready when the NCAA calls to check if he is eligible, um, he's the guy who would do that. Yeah, he has a track record for doing things the way people are the conventional mainstream wouldn't say to do it, and it's it's worked. In, Again, in yeah, I mean, it, it depends on how you look at it, but it's worked. He's got a kid in the pros and another one who's a potential pro. Sure. So I'll I'll take the other angle. You you put Mallow in in the situation he's been through. It's not like you're saying, "Wow, this guy went pro, and now he's so much better than Nico Mannion and Cole Anthony and everybody else." Him playing against older men is just, he's light years ahead of these other guys because of that experience. No, he's not. Mm-hmm. And you take it the other way. Him leaving the high school, normal high school and grassroots system is like, oh my God, he's not even a top 100 player anymore. He's just not even any good. No, he's still tracking as a top 5 to 15 player in that class. So mm-hmm. I, I think nothing's changed. So it hasn't been a quote unquote genius move. It's worked, maybe worked to. For the overall, you know, sphere of his family, but for Mello, I, I, I don't see no big uptick or a thud down. You know, he's in the same boat. Hundred percent. And you know, the the likelihood of him playing, I'm gonna stake to the other side is, yeah. is remote. Um, you know, which college is gonna gonna take him, David? Uh, which, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you know, just, I don't know. Uh, my my guys over at UC Irvine, I yeah. know maybe they'll take a chance to build, yeah. build the Bren Center and sure, have sure. some have some sell some Mello UC yeah. Irvine gear. I mean. If he is eligible, I'm, I'm with you. With yeah. I don't think he will play college basketball. I'm yeah. on that same boat. But sure. again, if he is eligible, yeah. I mean, he's he's a gold mine for yeah for attention college, for for other players for attendance attendance merch sales. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just it's an absolute gold mine. Yeah. Um, well, let's interesting. Let's talk about three points, three three things here, and then we'll move into like you said, attendance. Uh, the Pac-12, we'll kind of close this episode with that a little bit. Uh, I asked three people who were involved in ESPN, Rivals 247, about Mello. And one of them said, 
I think he's a pro player. He's not going back into our 219 rankings. The second one said, well, we got to see how it shakes out amongst our group that do the rankings. Mm -hmm. And the third one said, if he finishes the season at Spire, I think in the last ranking he should be in there. Mm -hmm. So we got kind of three different uh three different answers, three different responses. Um what is your take there? And then second of all, you know, um do you think the if he's not playing college, it's G League in two thousand twenty NBA draft, you know, what what's your take there? Yeah, Ronnie, I think if he stays at Spire for the rest of the season, he will go back into those twenty nineteen rankings. And like you said, he'll be in that top I don't think I don't think people the, the people ranking will put him in that top five. Um but I do think that he'll be a top fifteen player in the country um when those rankings come out. And uh rightfully so. Definitely. And the G like the second question, to answer your second question, with the G League, I think he uh that's probably the right move if he's not eligible for college. Uh, go to the G League. If he's good enough to make one of those G League contracts, then um, you know he's making money playing in the G League, and then he gets a shot at the NBA, especially at that when he's that once removed from one year removed from high school, he can go into the next the next draft. Yeah, he'll be eligible for two twenty draft. It's been the plan, master plan all along. Right. Whether where regardless of whether he plays, where he plays, you know, obviously. A few years ago, would have said, "Okay, he's going to follow his brothers to to UCLA," and um, I agree with you. I think he should be in the rankings. He's playing against high school level competition. You know, it's not traditional high school, but don't, it don't matter. A lot of players don't play traditional high school, yeah. so you know he should be in those rankings at the end if he's there. Obviously, we'll see what happens with any of the the major All Star games, and um, you know the, the the word is you know the G League probably is the best best move for him to see if he can certainly has the talent. And the pedigree to play, he's just not a center slam dunk, you know, NBA lottery choice or anything like that right now, and and that's okay, you know, he he's got a chance, and he's got a chance to get better, you know, he's he's still pretty young for his, he's a lot younger than some of these guys in in this class, so he he has a chance. Um, he would he would benefit from playing more high level games, in my opinion, against his peers than just some guy smoking a cigar or cigarette on a bench somewhere halfway around the world. Yeah. I, I just think he's better off playing against other 19, 18-year-olds and, and taking it from there. Yeah, and he's getting, he's getting more exposure. Sure. I mean, you're in Lithuania. You, you, what, what kind of exposure are you getting? You had, they had their own you know, BBB broadcast or whatever that yeah. little showcase thing they were doing over there. They yeah. had the big baller brand games, and those are on, on Facebook. And you know, a lot of people watch those games for sure, sure. just to tune Check in and see out. what was going on. But now he's he played at Hoopal West. Yeah. So you have a ton of national media, scouts, local yeah. media, scouts, people of that nature who are at these events watching these games. So uh, I think for as, as bad of a move it was taking him out of Chino Hills and taking him overseas and playing in that league, it was a smart move to bring him back to the States and put him at a prep school. Yeah, it's just interesting. We'll close it like this, Devin. If Malo makes it, makes it to the NBA and he makes a big starts, Something like that, you know. His journey is just going to be much more that fascinating than if he just went, went, you know, played on a national champion high school team, became the star of that team, played with with Oneko Kongu, went to UCLA, and then went to the draft. We we kind of seen that's, those that's boring. We see we, we know we know Lavar does not like boring. Yeah, we've seen that, and we hope you guys think our show's not boring as as we kind of wrap it up in the paint. 
this episode three, we, we, we kind of didn't get into one little topic we we're going to touch on beginning of the next show. And we're talking about attendance. We're talking about UCLA. We mentioned those those god-awful D-Day scores for the Pac-12. We're going to just talk a little bit more about UCLA, and we're going to jump into some of, some of the tournaments we saw. So, uh, Devin, why don't you uh, close it out, and, and let's get ready for the next one. Yeah, so thanks, guys, for listening to Episode 3 of In the Paint, presented by Ball is Life. Uh, episode four be coming up soon, so keep an eye out. We're gonna be talking about the tournaments we attended, holiday tournaments we attended uh, over the week, and Damian Classic, Torrey Pines Holiday Classic. And we're gonna have a special guest on, Coach Ray Bearfield of Rancho Christian High School, uh, the coach of the winning team of the Classic at Damian. Once again, thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll be hard in the paint soon. <laughs>